Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. Today, I'm so excited for you guys to hear a conversation between myself and Miss Diamond Griffin. We talked about teaching for social justice, early childhood education. We talked what would a Black educator's union look like and why she decided to work in predominantly white schools. It was so insightful. We got into her trajectory, her journey, and how she's gotten to the educator that she is today. And I can't wait for you guys to listen. So please enjoy. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. As always, I give my guests the opportunity to introduce themselves to the listeners. So my name is Diamond Griffin, and I've been teaching for this fall will be five years, and I've been teaching first grade. So initially, I started out um, wanting to be my journey to education. Initially, I wanted to start out teaching um, high school journalism as like a retirement plan. Mm. So I wanted to become a big time journalist and work in a news station and then retire and teach high school journalism. But I ended up changing my mind throughout um, my first year of college and switched my major my sophomore year. But I really admired my high school journalism teacher because I did journalism all throughout high school and I really want to take the same path as my teacher. But um, when I went into college and I was doing really good with journalism and I love the journalism program, but I realized that journalism isn't um, a secure profession. Like I would not be have job security. And that's one thing that was very important to me. And so I realized like, I want to just jump straight from journalism to education. And then from there, I started thinking like, well, what grade do I want to teach? Do I still want to teach high school or what do I want to teach? And I realized that like education would be a social justice platform for me. It's not just going to be me teaching them. And I felt that the best age to do that with would be the early ages, which is why I chose elementary. Mm-hmm. And so I've been teaching first grade for the past four years, and I'll continue to teach first grade. But I wanted to use my platform as an educator to end up being a social justice advocate and work with students in that, that kind of space. But I ended up going to a predominantly Black school. And the reason why I chose to go to a HBCU was because I was tired of being the only African-American or Black person in the space. Like all throughout my education, I'd always been like one of the few Black people in the space. And I just didn't want to have that thought of like, am I not going to get certain things because I'm Black? Or am I not going to succeed at certain things because I'm Black? Um, And that's why I chose to go to a predominantly Black school. And that kind of even like affirmed my need to do social justice um, through the classroom mm-hmm. and carrying myself a certain kind of way because I went to a, a predominantly black school there's certain things that they teach us that I felt we wouldn't I wouldn't have learned if I was at a, a, a predominantly white institution and so like just the way that I carry myself and the way that the world will view me when they see me and so every day that I go to work since I've been teaching I try to make sure that I'm dressed professionally all the time even though I teach um primary I try to make sure I'm wearing like a skirt and heels and things like that so that way if I do come in contact with parents who do have negative um, thoughts and stereotypical views of black Americans I'll be defying that when they come in contact with me and Mm -hmm. so just then my presence would make a difference and then I would have their student with me majority of the day so the things that I instill in them will be making the change that will help them in the future Absolutely. And so I did go through, oh, sorry. 
No, no. I, I, think no, I did go through a teacher education program. I changed my major. To what is the last? Do we have a thing? Good. There's like a little bit oh. of a lag, but just go ahead. Gotcha. So I did go to a um, teacher education program go through the teacher education program and I learned like the different strategies, but they just really instilled mostly classroom management and what to expect from like my coworkers, the parents that I interact with in administration, being a black educator. Mm -hmm. And so I really think that has helped me a lot in my profession as a teacher. Absolutely. Um, so I think kind of what I got from your introduction of yourself is one, you came into education for social justice reasons, which I think too often um, educators, no matter what they look like, they think of being a teacher as another career path or being or, or just a job. Um, but, but but fortunately, the jobs of teachers are um, it's hard to even explain how much teachers give of themselves to their students. Um, and so having someone who had the perspective of from the beginning, this was a social justice effort for them, um, it is incredible to hear. Um, and it's also really cool to hear like, yes, you had your journalism to, to, to education kind of jump, but many people I've had on the podcast, their path to education was almost accidental. So it's definitely very interesting to see somebody who's so intentional about why they wanted to be in the classroom, who they wanted to serve in the classroom. And then even when they got in the classroom, like how they wanted to present themselves. Because I think too often we think of change as something that has to be huge. Um, but you're thinking of it from a, uh, from a, an individual to individual kind of standpoint, the, 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 what you can offer to young students, showing them what a strong, um, educated black woman is, uh, from such a young age, because often it takes way too long, specifically for white students to even have that experience, if ever, uh, with to get to really know and to really understand uh, Black people, Black culture, what that looks like, how they, how, how diverse and different that we all are. So I think that that's super incredible that that was like, you set that intention and then just started going for it. Um, and so let's just talk about for first graders, I think people think the conversation of race, the conversation of gender, and all of these different things are too difficult for young kids to understand. So just kind of talk a little bit about how you bring in um, theories of, 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 of liberation into your classroom. So it's never too early to start talking about differences. And even if you work at a place where it's not okay to talk about race or it's not okay to talk about slavery and things like that, there are still certain words that you can use um, coded speech has been around for a long time that will still get the message across. And I was definitely inspired by how Disney, um, and I'm still inspired by how the old Disney movies mm -hmm. would have like certain things happen. But like as an adult, you look at it and you're like, wow, they're talking about segregation right now. Like the Fox and the Hound was one of the first ones that I noticed. It's like your friends now because you're kids, but as you grow older, you're different. So you can't hang out with each other. And that's a lot like segregation and racism. And then the newer age version of that is Utopia, where you mm -hmm. have the domesticated animals and the wild animals, and you have police brutality against the wild animals. And that's a lot like what we're dealing with today. And they're just trying to say, like, we're all the same. We're still animals together. And so I try and I don't directly say racism and things like that with my young learners, but I definitely say, like, um, especially around Black History Month, I try to make sure I'm like direct with who I'm talking about because that also just so happens to be the month of 
President's Day. And a lot of people choose to teach Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, but we've had our first black president. And so before we get to that month, I make sure I talk about like different things when it comes to Native American history. And I'm like, oh, well, did you know that this happened? And these people weren't really happy about it. And how do you think they mm -hmm. felt? Think mm -hmm. about when we're on the playground. How would it make you feel if I was to come around and take all of your stuff? Mm -hmm. And like when you get to February, it's not such a heavy topic for the kids and they really get it because we're constantly making those connections to well, what if Ms. Griffin was to do that to you on the playground? Or think about the time that the other class did that to us when we were on the playground. How did that make you feel? And mm -hmm. so um, my favorite lesson to teach during um, Black History Month is just like how Barack Obama became president, but letting them know, like, did you know a long time ago, I couldn't have been your teacher and I would have had to teach someplace else or that like, we couldn't have sat with each other. We would have had to sit somewhere else or Barack Obama couldn't have been our president. And they're just like, oh, wow. Is it because of yeah. the stuff like that? And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. But mm -hmm. aren't you happy that we all get to do this? And even like women's history and stuff. I'm like, did you know that certain people couldn't have had certain jobs? Did you know Ms. Griffin could only teach certain levels or certain things because I'm a girl? And it's just the way to implement it at such an early age. And then as they get older, they're going to hear those terms. So I don't have to necessarily say the words to them, but the message is still getting instilled. And as they get older, they'll be able to say, oh, that's what that was called. That's what she was talking about, you know? Absolutely. I'm like a huge Disney fan. So I love the fact that you kind of brought all of those things in. And I think Disney has always done a really good job of putting adult themes into children's into children's um, content, and and I think they purposely do it so that so that kids can start start to get um, acclimated to these difficult, heavy topics. But earlier, and I think too often, there's never a follow up question. There's never a let's have a discussion about Zootopia and how you connect uh, what they were talking about in Zootopia to, to what's happening right now. So I, I think it would be absolutely incredible to, to watch Zootopia with a group of young black kids, um, specifically in this time of, of just craziness going on in the United States, because people have had enough, people have had enough. Um, and, and it's not, it's not a matter of, of, it's not a matter of the kids not being ready because unfortunately they have to be ready. And so how do we use things that don't traumatize them too early, but to get, put these implant, these thoughts. And I think a lot of educators think that that's not the job of a teacher to have those conversations It's the job of the families, but too often the families don't know how to have uh, uh, the conversation or how, or, or what the best way to have the conversation is. And so, um, I love that you even brought those tips in there and I'm definitely going to kind of, um, want to put together something like that where we can figure out how to help, um, those who are listening and then, and, and who are listening later, uh, to use with their young children and kind of have discussion questions after of like, have you heard in the news about blah, 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 blah or have you heard, but like, see what happened here in this movie? Like, it connects to the real world and we don't want the real world to look like this. We want the real world to look like the end of Zootopia when everyone is living together and happy together. Um, so I, I love that you kind of, you kind of shared that. And so with that being said, let's kind of connect the conversation back to the relationship between teachers and parents uh, because we know that so many parents don't have a full grasp of what it is that their their children are learning in school especially with common core changes and all of these different things and so kind of just explain for folks um, 
how you have have learned to to create that connection between teachers and parents um and and what resources you kind of use to get there so i struck this was one of the things that was on my evaluation that i needed to work on a lot mm -hmm. <laughs> making that connection because there were certain things when i first started teaching i was 22 i didn't have any kids i was fresh out of college so there are certain things that they were doing and saying, and I'm like, I don't have any kids. How am I going to help you? But for them, they're looking at me like, you work with kids. You've been working with kids, you know? So, um, and I looked young and stuff, but there were parents who were like, how do I do this with my kids? Or how do I get my kids to sit down? And I'm like, you should know better than me. But <laughs> like, there was like me saying like, you should know your kid a little bit better, but that's not the way I should have communicated. I should have been like, well, you know, we, I, this is what I do and eventually I got to that space of like just offering them what I do um but I definitely would recommend like having conversations with them if you can call a parent in for a conference do that because although they might be annoyed or it might inconvenience them whether it's a phone conference or a physical conference with them coming in to see you um they really like that and they remember that because they know that this person cares about my kid this person cares that my kid is learning and they care that like there's a relationship there and that they want to be at school and so and they really care about my kids like well-being so one thing that i definitely did was i looked at i think the blog was edutopia and mm -hmm. they had a couple of like suggestions and one of the suggestions was like conferences and constantly calling them and contacting them um and i downloaded an app on my phone called um class dojo and so that allowed me to constantly text them but i would take pictures of what they were doing in the classroom and post it so it has like a little facebook feature of you post in and you can send it to the entire class or you can send it directly to a parent and i would post certain things to the entire class but then i would like save some pictures and send it directly to their parent at my lunchtime like hey i'm at lunch but look at this cute thing that such such did today um, and that really helped bring the connection um, and so when I did that, a lot of parents felt more comfortable telling me things that was going on at home that I'm like, wow, I never seen anything like this in this kid, or I didn't know you guys were struggling like this. Like, I'm here to help you guys if you need me to, mm -hmm. or if I see it, I'll definitely try and have a conversation with them and I'll understand like why they're doing this. But, um, doing little things like that, just that conversation and, and, um, texting and things like that that really helped them like communicating with them and it helped me as well because then i realized like wow parents go through a lot because mm -hmm. i didn't know i understand like my mom and my dad they went through whatever to like make sure me and my brothers were good but then seeing like new age parents like who are about my age with kids like they're going through a lot they're trying to work they're trying to take care of their parents who are getting sick and they're also trying to take care of their kids and stuff and then there's not really a lot of time in the day so if they're a government worker, you know, they're working from like seven to, to four and we get out at a certain time, who's going to make sure that they're able to know what's going on with their kid? I have to be an educator that's flexible with my time and my availability to make sure I'm keeping them aware. And so a lot of my difficult parents that I had in the beginning of the year, when they saw that, like, I was trying to make that effort. So in my first quarter, it was like my whole first year of teaching that I was like, oh my gosh, you should know better than this. But that first quarter was the quarter that I was like that. And then after that, I'm like, okay, let me readjust and let me see how I can like, you know, bond with these people. But after that, then like the ones who were giving me a hard time, they came around and they were like, I want my kid to be, my next kid to be in your class. And mm. next year, such and such, 
kindergarten, Canadian year class, and that really helped out a lot. And I choose to work at predominantly white schools because mm -hmm. there's black kids, because I've always been the, the one the token black girl. So I want to be the voice for not just that kid, but also change the image of black for the other ones if they never, like you said, never come in contact with a black person. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so a lot of those parents didn't necessarily have great views of black people, but they learned to respect me because they saw that I treated their kid just like I treated anybody else's kid. And like I treat them like they would be mine. And mm -hmm. I was trying to build a relationship with them. So that was definitely helpful. And it's something that I've learned that if, even if I'm not teaching to the best of my abilities, if I work with a family, then that's the best, most rewarding thing that you can get from teaching in relationships. For sure. Um, I think you, one, gave a lot of really good tips uh, for, for, for teachers to kind of cultivate that relationship. But then I thank you for being so authentic in the fact that in a lot of places, teachers are young like <laughs> you have teachers that are young that don't have as much experience with working with 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 students and working with kids and so parents expect that your teacher training your masters whatever else you did prepared you for everything that you were gonna uh, everything that was gonna happen when you get into the classroom and unfortunately that's not the case and so um you stayed innovative and you stayed like forward thinking um, in the fact that you were like, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm doing better um, than I was in the beginning. Um, and I think there's too many, too many teachers that, that don't take that extra step. It's the parents don't, they don't come, they don't do this, they don't do that. And it's, but what are you doing to make them feel comfortable to come to you? And when you're a teacher who's sending them pictures of their kid and telling them that, oh, and having conferences that are not only when the child does something wrong oh <laughs> yeah how refreshing is that for 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 a parent because how many parents if you have a kid who gets in trouble a lot or has gotten has had disciplinary issues and every time you're coming to the school the only reason is for you to hear what your kid is doing well then you might not be really excited to be involved in the classroom experience. And so when you reach out both times on both ends of the spectrum, then I feel like parents see that you really do care holistically about the child and don't, ha don't have this belief system that the child is just trouble or just a problem, yeah. just bad. Um, so and one of the moments that like the parents really like, because I teach first grade, so that's like mm -hmm. so primary. One of the moments that they really like, because they're with us so for so much time is like, the first tooth or like a lost tooth like if they lose a tooth at school a lot of people don't realize like that's the moment that that parent can't get back yeah it the wasn't there for that so like i really like those moments in general but if i was a parent i do certain things like if i was a parent i would want to know this or i would want to see this or hear this or whatever even if it's like a cute thing like that so uh, that's one thing that every single parent loved <laughs> and they were like oh my gosh thank you so much for sharing this but i was like wait pause before you clean it, show your tooth and let's take a picture and then oh, I'll let someone go so to the nurse and I like tell them, hey, such just lost your tooth today at this time and this is how it like it fell out and stuff. And they really love that. So just like little cute things like that. It doesn't even have to be academic. They'll be like, they'll value that. Absolutely. And then because again, you're showing that 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 parallel process of like, I want 
to put myself in the shoes or try to see what, what it would feel like to be on the other foot. Because again, parents do miss their kids. They do want to see them growing up. And especially in early childhood, they're missing a lot of those moments because they have to work. And I love the piece uh, that you kind of talked about that when you engage them more, they engaged you more. This is what's going on at home. This is what's going on with the child. This is how the child is experiencing the world outside of school because way too many educators think that this that school is this bubble uh that kids that kids walk into and everything outside just leaves at the door um and and it is so much easier as an educator from from kind of the conversations that I've had on the podcast to understand a student and and even students that I've worked with it is so much easier to understand a student and to work with a student when you understand their home life and when you understand that they have these 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 issues or these ways of being that may be outside of what you believe because of how they present themselves in the classroom and, and parents get to give teachers that that inner that 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 inside look into what happens when before they come to your classroom and after they leave um and so i i love that that you gave the kind of the tidbits of what teachers can do and i also want people to kind of take into consideration the class what did you say class dojo you can do that with yeah. who are older, you know? It doesn't yeah. have to just be the babies because parents yeah. still care about their 12 and 14 and 15 and 18-year-olds when they make really great accomplishments. The parents want to see that stuff too, and, and that makes them feel more connected to the school because that connection to the teacher, that relationship between the teachers and parents should not diminish <laughs> because of because they've gotten older because of they they've they've grown a, a few years um so let's kind of talk about uh common core specifically i was in high school when common core was brought into the purview of life and i remember being like are we kidding and i um, <laughs> and i also babysat and i was like i'm gonna need this teacher to teach me because little girls coming to me asking me how to do this homework and I'm like, well, you carry the one and bring down. And she's like, no, you can't do it like that. And I'm like, well, how are we supposed to do it? And I can only imagine parents that were even farther removed from, from their education being able to kind of yeah. put these pieces together. And, and, and just another quick story is I remember one time my cousin, my family has Sunday dinner together every Sunday. And um, can't now because of the coronavirus, but... Usually, uh, we have Sunday dinner together every Sunday, and <laughs> my cousin had a homework assignment, and he was working on it, and it one cousin comes over, then the next cousin comes over, then the fourth cousin <laughs> comes over, and it's like five, six in our house. grown men, like, what, are, what is, I don't understand. I yes. they they was ready to put a question mark on his homework and send him back to school. They didn't know how to help him. And so can we just talk a little bit about like um, your ideas in terms of what schools can be doing to better help parents help their children with their homework when they're at home? <laughs> well, that's definitely been the experience since I started. So when I started, Common Core was already established in place, mm. but a lot of the teachers were established in place before Common Core. So that was, they had the same experience as you. So there's a lot of teachers who didn't even know how to teach it themselves. And then on top of that, you have, like you said, parents and families, like, what on earth are we supposed to do? Well, I can't tell you because I don't know myself. But like, <laughs> luckily for me, I came in, <laughs> I came in where they were like, um, there's a program called Engage New York. And 
I had a fresh mind. So I had no like formal math, like way to teach math. So it was easy for me to take it, take the information in and be able to pr like re deliver it to my students. So it was easy for me, but the other teachers had like a difficult time with it. And I realized that was my strength, but I like noticed that the parents needed help too. So I helped the teachers and explained to them like, you can do this and this is really what they want us to do. This is the language and stuff. But this year, like I spoke to my principal and I'm like, a lot of parents are complaining about like how math is and it's not the same. So like, I really want to do a tutoring program for te for parents, like teaching mm -hmm. parents how to mm -hmm. do their kids with math. Um, and the best thing to do is like, you can look at my videos. I have things on my Instagram channel. But just reading the verbiage and working with the teacher, like the teachers mm -hmm. who know what's going on. A lot of schools do have math teams or um, they have some type of math person, like a person that's obsessed with math. Utilize <laughs> that person. <laughs> Utilize that person and ask them, like, hey, how, what exactly is this asking my, my kid to do? And how can I teach it to them? But math has changed a little bit. It's more of like how how would you solve this? What's one way you can solve this? There's so many ways. And it's more about the cognitive, like how is the kid thinking mm -hmm. about this to get it solved as opposed to being wrote, like how we were taught, like this is the steps, just do the steps and call it a day. <laughs> and if you don't get it right, then you just didn't get it right. But you must have messed up somewhere in the steps. Um, but just allowing your learner to think and giving them simple problems, let them think, listening to what they're saying they were taught in school, and trying to understand it and then asking that math person that you know of or the teacher like hey this is what they were saying um what can we do or how can i support them without giving them the answers mm -hmm. you know but that's what i'm trying to do on my platform just give many lessons and explain those different vocabulary words because the terms do change although some of the steps are the same and some of the um, expectations are the same for what they're supposed to learn at different levels the wording is different and so yeah. you want to make sure you're using the same wording that your kid's hearing at school, because if there's a disconnect, then who's suffering? It's the kid. And so when it comes to trying to teach math at home and understanding math at home um, and making sure it connects to school, that communication is important right there. And mm -hmm. trying to find a teacher, if there's no teachers on your kid's grade level that can explain it, go to the next grade level. If mm. there's none there, go to the next grade. There's somebody at that school that can explain it um, the best way they can. Because Common Core is crazy, but it is a lot more of like freedom for the learner mm. as opposed to the grown-ups. We are so used to being in control of certain things. We got to let it go because it's about them and they have so many choices. My favorite um, standard is actually uh, a fluency standard. And it's so many strategies that the kid is supposed to use um to master that that strategy but they only have to be good at one of them you know mm -hmm. and so if they, mm -hmm. they get a problem like two plus ten they don't have to just use the strategy that i taught them which could be like counting on they can use whatever other strategy they can use make a ten they can use decomposing whatever they want to do but mm -hmm. it'll still be considered correct so that's the main thing with common core and i think that's why a lot of adults struggle with it because they can't let go <laughs> and yeah. it is hard to let go because that's the best way that you know how to teach it and it's uncomfortable for you to try and like step outside of that. And it's uncomfortable for parents because they didn't learn it that way. Absolutely. And like you said, they never taught before. So how are they going to be expected to help this kid, especially if your kid's in like kindergarten, like you ain't been in kindergarten in how many years? <laughs> <laughs> you can't really support them like you want to. Absolutely. So just that freedom. Um, yeah.
Absolutely. And I kind of answered the question. I feel like I was all over You did. You answered the question because, I mean, at the end of the day, as much as, as much as it would be fantastic if every, if every family member went home and studied common core standards themselves and taught themselves how to do it so they could teach their kid how to do it. The reality is that people don't have time for that. And so there are things in, at, that, that teachers can do and that schools can put in place to help support parents, support their kids. Um, and one of the things you kind of started to talk about was the school staff and how school staff has such a big um, play such a big role in how uh, students begin to learn. And so let's talk about the experiences of educators in the space of, of classrooms, knowing that all educators are human beings and that human beings are not always um, the easiest to get along with, they're the most comfortable. Um, kind of explain about your experiences in a, as an educator and relationships that you've had with, with school leaders and other staff members, but then also kind of your tips on how to um, deal with those issues and deal with some of the things that can arise when relationships get uncomfortable um, in, in, a, in a school setting. So my experience so far with um, my relationship with my staff and administration, I've taught at only two schools. Mm -hmm. um, the first school that I was at was there, it was in a small town and uh, everybody knew everybody, but it was located in a town that was very um, Trump supportive. Mm -hmm. And with that, the way that they supported him and the things that he was saying, it came off that it was a racist town because mm -hmm. the, the things that he was saying around his election time um, was very racial, racially pushed. So that was a very interesting place to teach, but I didn't have um, issues with my coworkers there. My coworkers are actually very supportive. It was amazing. It, I, it was a great team to work on. Mm -hmm. um, all the other teachers were very, very supportive. And it was just like a family almost. Like it was just so supportive. And the administration, one person was one of my administrators was very sneaky and condescending and it was kind of like I don't know it made it very uncomfortable to work there because of that one person but the support of the team and how amazing the students were it was just like it was worth being there you know you had someone if you got your feelings hurt by that one person you had all the other teachers to rally around you to support you and let you know like it's okay and I get hurt I get told the same thing it's it's fine and this new school that I'm at is a little bit different um mm -hmm. Oh, going back to old school, the, a lot of the negativity came from parents, actually. So, like, and it wasn't all of them, but, like, most of the negativity came from parents. So, like, my uncomfortable um, spots were with parent complaints, and I knew it was definitely because of my race and my position, and they don't want to hear someone tell them, your kid's not doing what they're supposed to do. I need you to talk to them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't want a Black woman telling you that your kid's acting up, and you need to get your kid in control. So, that was like the only thing there and that one administrator this new school is kind of like a little bit different because the the climate of the school with my coworkers is very similar to the climate that i had with the parents it was just it's just a lot of amy poopers and so i don't get a chance to see <laughs> 
I don't get a chance to see all of the other teams, um, like first, uh, second grade and things like that, because we work in like such such strict times and like we're always with our direct team grade level. Um, so it's definitely not as supportive and authentic as it was at my old school. And for me, that's something that I've been definitely struggling with because uh, I'm used to getting that support. I'm used to us being a true team. I'm used to us all caring about each other. And we might bicker and say, hey, I didn't like that you did this or whatever, but we get over it and we, we come back together. So that this is different for me. Um, and administration is not really like how my old administration would like nip things in the bud. If something happened, the family's coming together, we're talking to each other. And when we leave this room, we don't want this issue to come up again because everything should have mm -hmm. got put on the table. Um, I don't feel like it's the same way here, but I did end up getting an administrator that came in and she definitely was one of those people that did that. And the first part of my year was very, it was just uncomfortable. It didn't seem like anything was gonna change. And she came in and turned it around because she came in the second half of the year. Um, turned it around, she made sure she was doing checkups. She made sure she was acting like, how do you feel about this? What's going on with this? And constantly like trying to listen and make the necessary changes. So that way everybody's running smoothly. <clears throat> everybody's doing what they can effectively and everybody's comfortable. So she's no longer gonna be there, but that's definitely gonna be missed. So that's been my experience. And tips on dealing with stuff like that. Um, I think I struggled a lot because I was so used to my mm -hmm. other team. Mm -hmm. And I know for sure that it's possible to work someplace where you definitely get along with your coworkers. I've never worked any place. I've been working since I was 14 because I just wanted to like act wrong. <laughs> like, I've never worked any place where I've had issues with my coworkers. Like I've always loved my coworkers. It's always just been so fun. And if anything crazy happens, I can come to my coworkers and say, hey, this is going on. Like, what should I do? And get some authentic advice and not have them like run to the office and talk about me or anything. So I think you just can't get comfortable when you have a good thing and you move on mm -hmm. to something else and it's not the same. You really have to just be like, that's there. And I just know that I don't like what's going on here. So when I do decide to leave, I know what I'm looking for. And I know when I have an interview with somebody else, the types of questions to ask. Because mm. of course, nobody's going to tell you that, hey, my school's full of clicks. But you can ask, how do you deal with click type um, environments? How do you deal with teachers when they're mm -hmm. coming to tell you about another teacher, yet they have not had a conversation with that teacher? So that's something that I've learned. Another tip is to um, just make sure if something happens, you step back and reflect on yourself and see, did I handle it correctly? Um, could there have been another way that I could have handled it? And if it's like, yes, 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 then what, what was the reason for whatever happened, you know, or like, but just evaluate yourself, reflect on yourself. And if you notice that things keep happening, then figure out what's the common denominator if it's you then obviously you might need to make a change but if it's not you then obviously you need to have conversations about this is what's going on and I've noticed it on multiple occasions what can we do to fix it but um you yeah, gave me some great advice on like getting in administrators in as a black educator sometimes we can face like subtle racism mm -hmm. and unconscious racism and some, like, for example, if someone's constantly going to the office because you said something and then they do the same thing, probably even worse in front of the children. Like, 
make sure you bring it to the the administration's attention administrator's attention and say hey like i know this is going on and we need to have a meeting about this and i feel like it would be good for you to like start the meeting off because it might not be well received and i think that's a really good tip because it'll make a big difference because no matter if you're right or wrong as a black educator if people don't want to hear from you because of whatever reason then they're not going to hear from you but if someone yeah. else says that you're the mission's still getting accomplished and the change is going to happen but i think that Working under and with certain people, specifically as a black educator, can be very difficult and stressful. And so it's amazing to have like all these different um, communities on Instagram. And I think there's some on Facebook too, but listening to their stories and knowing you're not the only one and learning like what you can do, you know, and how you can react. And that doesn't mean that you don't react how you can mm -hmm. react to make sure that your voice is still being heard. You're not being silenced because you're an adult. You're, you're there for a reason and you're competent. So that doesn't mean you need to be silent. That doesn't mean you need to just go with whatever everybody's saying. You can still stand up for yourself, but just knowing how to do it and mm -hmm. knowing that it could be racially motivated. Whatever's going on could be racially motivated. Absolutely. And I think you brought up like that unconscious portion so well, because I think unfortunately, we live in a society where where there's unconscious bias that we um, we all inherit. We all inherit, and um, we can't ignore that. It, it's not an ignorable thing. We can't ignore the fact that that uh, we've all been socialized to believe certain things. And so, I think you've kind of made it very clear how, when you're a black educator specifically in an in an all white space, you have to check you have to check for people um, and you have to check people and there's ways to check people without being um, aggressive. There's ways to check people without, um, without attacking them. There's ways to do that and there's channels in which to go to. And when you have communities that kind of come together for that reason, um, you have support systems outside of your school that can kind of prepare you for how to deal with these these situations with whether that be parents, whether that be students, um, whether that be uh, school administration or other staff, you know how to handle it. Because I think too often um, we're told to just be quiet. It's okay. We'll handle it. It'll get, it. it'll figure itself out. Things don't figure themselves out. People figure yeah. things out. Um, and so I think you kind of made that super, super clear. And I, and I appreciate that. And so kind of to round out and close up the conversation, um, on our pre-call, we talked about earlier, we talked about creating something um, that gives just that, that's dedicated to uh, Black teachers feeling like they are, are being heard um, in, their, in their school administrator. So do you just want to talk a little bit about that idea and um, what it can look like, whether that be on small, more localized levels, and then um, in larger in larger spaces? Yeah, so it would be very nice, like how we have unions as teachers that you go to and they advocate for you and they support you. Um, as a black educator, there's so many instances where it's definitely racially motivated and you go and you make complaints and nothing really comes of it. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, oh, are you sure that this happened? And you're constantly, you're the one in question, even mm -hmm. though the person who's the aggressor might've done something very aggressive in front of students, like I said before, and nothing comes of it for them. But mm -hmm. if you were to do something and it was questionable, 
then they would try and call you in the office and say, hey, we heard this happen. We can't be having this and stuff. So it would be really nice if we had like a union or if some type of union existed. I know you had mentioned one before um, where if we have an issue, we could go to them and say, hey, this is going on and like get advice. And they could also come and speak up for us, like how a union representative would for any teacher's union. Um, because we shouldn't be made to feel like we have to leave our jobs just because of something. We shouldn't have to go to all black schools. We should be able to be in any space that we want to, and we should be respected just like any other educator. And we should not be facing um, workplace retaliation for anything that we might mm -hmm. say or do that wasn't accepted. Um, and having that kind of voice would be awesome um, because we're, we just need that support. And it doesn't seem like it, it exists anywhere. And like teachers like myself, now I'm at a school where there is an all black staff, but like I said, we're not with each other. Like well, not all black staff. We have predominantly black um, in certain spaces, but we're not with each other. Like we're all in different spots. And mm. so if something happens, then it's like, I didn't know that happened to you until you call me when the day is over with, you know, mm -hmm. and then we weren't there with each other. So I can't even be a witness for you. Mm -hmm. um, and at my old school, my first year teaching, I got hired in with a lot of black educators. Like it was the mission of my principal to hire a lot of African-American educators. And that was the year that our school got the most complaints. And no one can tell me that it wasn't because of our race. Mm -hmm. And the principal herself was African-American. But the difference is that principal spoke up for our rights. She spoke up and said, they're not doing anything wrong. They need to talk about these certain things because one person talked about Black History Month, not even slavery itself, Black History Month. But that, that principal spoke up and said, she's teaching what she's supposed to be teaching. She's teaching what she can teach at this mm -hmm. time. There's nothing wrong with that. But she will come across educators, I mean, principals, whether they're Black, Latino, or whatever, any other type of person of color who won't speak up. And they'll be like, oh, okay. They'll say they're behind before they say you. So it would be so beneficial to have like a union specifically for black educators that speak up on our behalf when injustices happen, um, whether they're large or small. Absolutely. And I think kind of what you're saying um, is, is, a, is a call to action to people who are listening, even if it's just a union for yourself in 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 the school y'all all come together there are there is power in numbers if it's just three y'all in school and this makes me uncomfortable um i we should all be able to go and have a conversation with our principal or with the school leadership about how we feel about that situation. And so if you're someone who's listening to this right now, you don't have to wait for, for us to go and put, put together a, 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 a Black Educators Union. Start creating your own. Start creating silos um, that are allowing you guys to, to, for people to stand up for themselves. Because I think that that's one of the biggest things and it doesn't matter what type of person, who, where, what, why, too many people do not speak up for themselves, do not speak up for their rights, do not speak up for what they deserve and how they deserve to be treated. And so I appreciate you coming on to have such an in-depth conversation. Yeah, which is why, and that like those experiences that I've had as an educator with other educators really influenced me to make my teacher um, Instagram, the mm -hmm. Atmos D. Dunn teachergram, because there's black children in all white spaces who are not getting equitable education mm -hmm. or they're even at all black places but they're not getting equitable education because they might have teachers who are ineffective teachers or things like that and so and there's certain stories that I hear that makes me think like if that was my kid I would pull them out of school and educate them from home even though I really would, wouldn't want to do it because I would need the money 
I care more about my kids' future and my kids' um, mental health than I care about any form of money. Um, what The story that I heard was the little girl who got arrested in Florida because uh, she had a temper, temper tantrum, the little black girl in Florida. The little girl who ended up having to go home or got suspended or something because her hair was in braids. Those different injustices, I've created my platform to educate parents on how to teach their kids and math specifically, but there's other people who are teaching reading strategies and things like that. But I know math is my strong suit, mm -hmm. but teaching them math from home because if your kid does face something like that or your family faces something like that, you have the power to take them from home, I mean, from that school and end up educating them and letting them know the same thing that they would be learning at school. You have the academic um, language that they would be learning. You have the skills that they would be learning. You have all that power right there for you to say, I can leave my kid here if I want to, or I can take them out, especially if they're in a public school. Public schools receive funding for your child. They can't run and operate without the money from the state because your child is there, especially if you're you're um, receiving free or reduced lunch, they get even more money because your kid, there's funding that's coming from that. So if your kid is facing issues and nobody's standing up for them or nobody is um, respecting them, you have the power to take them out of that school. And I'm trying to make a space for you to be able to educate them while you do that or, and find another space, or if you just wanna keep them with you, um, and you, you have that, that option. Absolutely. And so I think that's a perfect spot to end. Um, if you're a parent who is, is in need of things that you can teach your kid at home right now, a lot of, a lot of people have to teach their kids from home. They don't have a choice. Um, and so when you start to learn the things that are going on in the classroom of your child, you're going to hold the teacher and the school more accountable. And so definitely bring yourself over to Miss Gunn's Instagram so you can see the things that she is providing for parents who have children who are in the first grade. Um, and I am, I'm just, I, this was such a great conversation. And so, um, as always, we like to end out with letting our guests become the interviewer. Please ask me any questions that you have um, as it pertains to myself or Black on Black Education. So I do have a question for you in particular, and it's an opinion question. Um, I've noticed on Instagram, a lot of the Black educators that I've seen so far, because I am new um, to the teacher part of Instagram, mm -hmm. I had my personal before, but I decided to like get serious about trying to educate parents um, and giving them that power and first year teachers. Um, but I noticed a lot of Black educators tend to be in either the upper grades like this on up or mm -hmm. like high school or something like that. Um, or special education, why do you think, um, what well, was a two-part question, why do you think Black educators choose to be in those upper grades, and do you think it would be more beneficial if more Black educators were in primary? Mm. Um, mm. So, in terms of the first part, why do I think that they choose upper grades? I think, um, I can speak for myself, and why I chose an upper grade, um, is because I think in lower grades, um, students, it, it, you're kind of told who you are over and over again. You have teachers or parents telling you who you are, telling you if you're a bad kid or telling you that you're a good kid or telling you that you're a smart kid or whatever it is that they use to affirm you or to, to, to not affirm you. Um, that's kind of been sunken in. And I think I chose an older grade because I wanted to try to fight past those things that have already been ingrained in them. And I do think it would be extraordinarily beneficial for there to be more black educators 
who are for the cause and who are for social justice and who are for um, good schooling for, for children of color and for all children, obviously. Um, but for those educators to be choosing younger fields because you want to start affirming people young. Um, I didn't have a perfect childhood by any means, but um, I at least had people in my life that affirmed that I was smart, that affirmed that I was, was worthy, that I was enough, that I was all these different things. And so I grew up and I kept that with me. And even when I had people try to, to express that I wasn't or that I, was, or that it was, it, I wasn't good enough or whatever else, um, I kind of was able to brush that off in a different way. So I definitely applaud all teachers who are in um, early education, but specifically teachers who are using their platform to teach their child to to teach their children a a how to create a better world how to be a better person so that we have a better world um I applaud them immensely I don't think it was my calling um but I applaud them immensely yes yeah I think it definitely would be beneficial like you said that are there for social justice because there are some kids like my parents obviously well not obvious but my parents were like super like you're black no matter what no matter how light how dark you're still black and you're gonna be viewed as black no matter what and Mm -hmm. they definitely had us like watching black documentaries when I was in second grade like I'm watching Malcolm X documentaries I'm like comprehension is not that great but I know like this is obviously a powerful person like they had me watching certain things and I was like to watch kid things too but they never let it um, be forgotten that like you're not going to have the same experience as other Americans. And you're mm. an American, but you're not going to be having the same opportunities and you're going to have to work harder for them. But I don't think that um, some black children see that. And some children of other children of color, I don't think that they see that on a daily basis because mm-hmm. mainstream is um, more focused towards other things that they're trying to push down their throats. And I don't think that the images that they're getting is affirming that like, you you look amazing too with your like chocolate skin you look amazing too with your 4c hair you don't always have to wear your 4c hair in an afro like there's certain things that i'm seeing on these commercials and i'm like if they don't have a teacher like me or like some of my friends in their classroom are they getting are they understanding that mm-hmm. and if they don't have parents who are um open-minded enough to be able to say that too because there's some self-hating african-americans as well like you don't have to look like whatever's on TV. You're still amazing. And you still are just like that person. And you mm. can be that person whenever. So I do think it would be beneficial if more of us were um, in the elementary ages, I mean, stages. But I do love that you said that you're trying to re-image and re, re, redo that thought that they have or that they might not have had that entire time going up. So thank you for that. That is amazing. Thank you. And that's a different viewpoint for me as well. So that that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so as always, thank you so much for listening. Come back next week. Um, thank you so much. Enjoy and say bye to everybody. And I'll give them their, your last, um, make sure that they know where to find you on Instagram. You can support me by finding me at, at Miss D Gun. That's at M-I-S-S. D-G-U-N-N on Instagram as well as Twitter and I am creating a blog and that'll be able to be found in my LinkedIn bios um, for you to find even more math activities and lessons that you can do with your learner. Thank Um, you. Thank you so much. Bye everybody.